Right, live, live, live. Yeah. Under the Mat Radio, this is your host, Tech, with co-host. And I see Game Boy, what it is, what it do. Yes, fans, welcome, everybody. We do apologize, technical difficulties from Law Talk Radio <sighs> and also the text. House phone gave a little issue, but it's all fixed now. We're here live, live, live. Under the Mat Radio episode, our best and a mic. We will have coming on very shortly. Former UFC heavyweight champion, three-time King of Pancreas champion, and co-host of Inside the MMA on Access TV, none other than Bass Rutten. Also coming up at the top of the hour, we will have correspondent of Ring of Honor, CZW, Maryland Championship Wrestling, great ring announcer, and also former winner of the famous show Price is Right, Larry the Legend Trademark, will be joining us. Real quick, before we bring in our first guest, this is your host, Tack. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Tack underscore... UTMR. You can follow NFC Game Boy on Twitter at NFC Game Boy. Spell it correctly, please. Please spell it correctly. Yeah, appreciate it. Yes. Right. If you ever need to email us with any questions or comments, please email us at under the Mats Radio at gmail dot com. Look us up on Facebook under the Mats Radio is our page. Instagram under the Mats Radio. Um, a word. We have a YouTube channel. Thanks, big ups to for us and Powerhouse and our correspondent Shimblade. Under the Mats Radio on YouTube. With all that being said, I believe we have live, live, live on the air now. The man himself. Is this Bass Rootin? Are you live, sir? I am there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you guys just boss, please. Boss. Boss. Yeah. 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 No, you just said that. I said that. No, no, no. It's a 50 50 thing. 50% of the people call me Bass and 50% boss. So oh, don't okay. feel bad. <laughs> Oh, thank you, thank you very much, boss. We got it right. right? <laughs> yes, you got. Because we do not, we do not want you to kick our tail. You definitely don't. No, you know what? Yeah, well, I'm on the telephone, so you boss me yourself a little bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, thank you much, uh, boss, for coming on to the show. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, we're very honored to have you on. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And to let you know, you are making history here on Under the Mask Radio. You are now the third uh, mixed martial artist that's been on our show. We've had also legendary Ken Shanrock, a good buddy of ours, and Dan to be Severin. Those are two good guys. Great guys. And to start it off, boss, if you don't mind, um, give us your thoughts, any memories you may have of uh, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shanrock, and uh, Dan Severin. Oh, okay. Now, my first memory with uh, Ken was uh, him in the uh, dressing room. Uh, this was before the UFC started. Him telling me that he was going to enter in a cage with no referee, nobody could say any, do anything, and there, was just, or there were no rules. And I remember looking at him and I say, you really think that's a smart thing to do? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I would love that. I would love that. I go, ah, if there's no referee, you know. You have all these crazy guys who keep on hitting, even when you're out. I would like to have a referee there who can pull them off, you know. But he said, no, 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 I thrive on it. And then, fast forward, I talked to him about the first experience, and everybody behind stage was actually thinking a little bit, you know. They didn't know if it was real, or if maybe there was going to be a shoot or something, you know. It was still in the head until Gerard Godot kicked the teeth out of that sumo guy. And they were flying into the audience, and everybody backstage was watching the TV in the dressing room, and they looked at each other, and they go like, okay, it's real. 
know, that's the first thing that comes up with uh, with uh, with Ken. First thing that comes up with Dan Severn is, of course, uh, myself watching him at the UFC and uh, always liked him. He's a great guy. I was at an event from him one time, and uh, this is a funny story actually. Uh, and it was in, uh, I believe it was in Texas. I was there with Marco Huas. And um, I was drinking a beer, but apparently I was doing it outside. That was not legal here in America, drinking a beer outside. So a little a little tiny cop walks up to me with shades on. This is in the middle of the night, right? Shades on, one of those wannabe guys. And he tells uh, he tells me, stop drinking. So I, you know, no, he said, get rid of the beer. So I said, get rid of the beer? Yeah. So I start drinking. And then he says, stop drinking, stop drinking. And I kept drinking, kept drinking until I finished the beer. And I said, well, you told me to get rid of the beer. I just got rid of the beer. And he says, you think this is funny? And he, he got all angry at me. But then somebody said, listen, he's from Holland. You know, he just came here. You know, they have different rules in Holland. You, you can drink on the street. And, I, you know, he, he was not happy, but he, he went away. So anyway, later, he's outside the place where we're fighting. This is an outside arena. And there is a chain link fence in between us. And he sees me and he comes, he sits in his car and he has his arm out of the window, you know, and with the shades on again and he's eyeballing me, you know, and he's looking straight at me, straight at me. He wants to be the tough guy. And I look at Mauro, of, uh, uh, sorry, at Marco and I say, watch this. So I pull my pants down and I moon him and then he jumped out of the car and then Marco goes, I look at Marco and I, I look at him and I say, and now we run. <laughs> we started running and we got out of there. But that was the first impression I had. That's where I met uh, Dan for the first time, Dan Seven. He was a great guy. Oh, man. Yeah and, and, yeah, and we will say that. Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock do not sound intimidating. If you just went by how their voice sounds, they just sound like the nicest guys in the world. And these are one of the, some of the most dangerous men that you can ever face. So, very, very good guys for us. Very good guys. I'm going to turn it over now to my co host, Tennessee Game Boy. Man, I just want to say it's a pleasure. Um, me, as a, a fellow martial artist, it's always good to have a chance to get away from uh, wrestling for a while and get a chance to go into, you know, MMA and UFC and, and all the great sports. Uh, my first question to you is, what has been the most driven force behind your wins and your championship? Um, is it like your kids, uh, your family? Is it uh, a goal you might have when you first started out? What has been the driving force behind so much of your success? You know, it, it has to be my, uh, when I was a kid, I was a very sick kid. I had a horrible skin disease. I had severe asthma as well. So I had a skin disease, eczema in my face, in my hands, everywhere. So it was very, you know, I couldn't hide it. So I didn't have a lot of friends. I got bullied a lot, you know, and I just, myself, I always said, you know, I'm going to make sure people are going to know me. You know, I did everything in my power to overcome all that. You know, and then once I start growing out of my asthma, you know, I suddenly start putting on weight and then my eczema start disappearing. And then, uh, you know, I became suddenly an athlete. It was the craziest thing. I was already an athlete as a kid. I did track and field and I was uh, pretty good at that as well. But always uh, just that drive to to let everybody know, okay, you'll hear from me, you know. And uh, it, it was fun because we had an, uh, two times at a reunion. One time a reunion uh, where, the, where I jumped on stage and I asked uh, of the, if the bullies wanted to say anything right now, and that was already when I was a champion, <laughs> and then it got awfully quiet in that place. <laughs> and uh, and then the other one was on TV. That was the best one. They had like in Holland 2.8 million people watching, and 2.8 million people, that's like watching here the Super Bowl. That's like 60 million here. That's one 
one fifth of uh, Holland, and that was a big show as well, you know. And uh, and the bullies also didn't show up on that one on the TV episode, but you know it was fun. It was fun to see all the kids and the way they talked about me, and you know, yeah, that they saw me. What I always had to wear these little gloves, you know, like uh, so they they couldn't see my eczema, and you know, I was, was not a lot in school because I was a lot sick to, uh, sick at home in bed. You know, couldn't walk, couldn't couldn't eat, couldn't couldn't do anything because I couldn't breathe because of my uh, asthma. You know, so uh, yeah, that's I think I made up my mind there that um, you guys watch. In the end, I'm gonna start. I, I, I will be the one who's laughing. Oh, you've been laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's been uh, life has been very good to me. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. I, I well, I gotta ask my second question real quick. My second question is with. Uh, we had Ken Shanrock on. He made a statement about the the quality that the guys in, in UFC and MMA have been treated financially. Um, if you don't want to answer it, you know, if you don't want to touch on it, that's fine. But I do want to get your opinion by you being a, a, a big driving force and a guy who, who you know a multiple champion who's who's seen both of the sides, the business and the personal side. Can you give us your, uh, your 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 feelings on how some of the guys are being treated, um, and um, you know, just your financially? On... Yes, financially. Well, you know, this is the thing. It's um, once you're a big name guy, you know, then uh, it's up to you to sell the tickets. You know, if you have a chill son uh, who started talking, who started. The super great fighter, but he started talking good, and he did his right, and then, you know, he, he beat some good guys also, so, you know, but especially the way he was talking, he talked himself all the way to the bank. That was a very smart thing for him. They put him on pay-per-view, they give him a cut on the pay-per-view, and that's what they do with all the champions. Once you become a champion, you've got to get a contract, if you have a smart enough manager, though, that uh, sees that coming, who who gives you a cut on the pay-per-view. Now, if, if your pay-per-view doesn't sell a lot of tickets, that's they, that's not the UFC's fault, you know. But if you have like a John Jones or like these these guys who pull a lot of uh, pay-per-view buys in, yeah, then you're going to make a lot of money, you know. But uh, if you don't have that pool, so I always say, you know, as a as a fighter, be colorful as a fighter also when you fight, but also make sure that you you know on camera that you're at least interesting, you know, that people, you know, if you're a guy who's just like, oh, great, whatever, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to knock him out, you know. Uh, you know, people people want to root for somebody, you know, and and, and if you grab if you like Showtime, Pettis, look at this guy, man, he's unbelievable in the cage and he's great outside the cage, you know. So guys like that, they always will get the money. The under fighters, you know, can they get paid more? Of course, you know, I, I I'm with that. I I would love to for them to get paid more, but they already changed a lot, you know. I think uh, with, with the healthcare that they're doing, you know, all the all, all the stuff that they implemented, they're doing great stuff and. Other companies still don't do that. UFC does it because they're the biggest company. But of course, for the beginning fighters, I would say that it's sometimes you hear a guy on a card who who makes uh, three thousand, three thousand, and I say, ah, you know, I think in the big leagues that should be a little bit more, of course. But uh, most of the time, um, I say, just become a good fighter. Once you once you stop all the whining and everything, put it to the side. Just start focusing on really becoming a good fighter. Do everything in your power to beat up. Because once you become a good guy and a top ten guy, you will make money. You know, because the people are going to demand it and they want to see you fight. And once they want to see you fight, there's no other way than for them to pay you the big bucks. Okay. Thank you so okay. much for answering that. I, I was hoping that you know you 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 come and deliver. 
uh, a lot of guys are kind of been on the on the fence with that answer. I mean, that question because you know they don't want to get too personal with you know the business side. But I'm thank you, and I me myself, I I, I believe you wholeheartedly, and I think that you know if you continue working on your craft, your craft will bring you exactly where you need to be. You know what I'm saying you know you put the right. work in, you will get the work out. So thank you so much. Yeah, for that. yeah but yeah, no. <clears throat> Yeah, but also, you know, the early UFCs, like Francis Red Ken and everything, there was not a lot of money. Sure, for us, we think, oh, at the time, 300,000 pay-per-view buys, you know, but for all the money they lost and everything, it's hard to give fighters money. <clears throat> but when Ken came back and fought against Tito, I guarantee you he made a lot of money on that fight because they had 1.1 million pay-per-view buys. You know, people see that fight, and, and, and Ken has a smart manager, you know, so he got a cut on the pay-per-view. I, I think he made some pretty good money there. Early in the UFC, of course, you know, not a lot of fighters did, but then again, you know, so didn't the co- so uh, didn't the company. It was so bad that they actually had to sell the company to the Zufa Brothers, you know, to the to to, to Dana White and everybody there. The Zufa Brothers, mm-hmm. but it's the Zufa mm-hmm. company. Right. Um, um, Bob, so, is it okay for you, is it okay if you take a um, couple calls from the fans? No, of course not. Okay. All right. Want to come through? Okay, uh, right now, RJ Code T40, you're live under the mat radio with Boss. My question for Bass is Have you ever seen any evidence that the fights in mixed martial arts have been fixed with either the fighters throwing a fight or a referee making bad calls or a judge not doing their job and uh, throwing a fight? No, no I, I haven't seen yet. I, in Pride, I saw some. You know, but that was there. They were very close to the pro wrestling. But in like in America's uh, in uh, America, any organization, I haven't seen that yet. There was one time and uh, a questionable one because there was a, a king of the cage. But of course, the the owners didn't know that. But there was an, a student who fought his teacher. You know, and that was that was so over the top. <laughs> it was almost like you know, here I come. I'm going to do a knee bar. Here's my leg. You know that everybody kind of knew. That was it, but that was on such a level that there was no money involved. But like as for money-wise, that people betting and then on purposely lose. No, I I have never seen it. I think with e- the egos from fighters are bigger than the money they want to have. I truly believe that. I truly believe that a fighter is uh, rather wins than gets uh, than loses to a guy that he shouldn't lose to and but get a lot of money. You know that money goes only so far. You know, once that money is gone, he's never going to forgive himself when you did that. And and because they have that ego, and they need to have an ego. I had an ego. Everybody needs to have an ego if you're if you're in a sport that is only you. You know, then uh, no, they won't sell each other for that. I don't, I don't believe that. Okay, um, Cheeky, you uh, have any more questions for Boss? Uh, my final question is: Does Boss think that a tag team division will become popular in mixed martial arts in one of the? Major federations like UFC or Bellator? No, no, no. It's gonna, you know, it will be fun. I don't think it's going to be legal in America. You know, in Russia, they did, uh, there was a two or three against three, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Or two against two. And then you remember, it's all, it's online right now. We had it on Inside MMA. And then uh, one guy gets beat, and then the one guy has to fight two guys. And man, he, this guy, this one guy, decked those two guys like a literally two seconds apart. One ran into him, boom, goes down, and he hits another punch, and he knocked out the other guy. I literally, in less than two seconds, he knocked out two guys. 
but I don't think in America the Athletic Commission will never approve that. Not a real fighting. Pro wrestling, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Mr. Chief, for that. Um, Bob, yep. I want to ask you a question before um, we bring you on in, uh, bring you on, um, bring in our correspondent too. Rumor, rumor has it is alleged that in a match against Jason Thunder Lager, you broke his shin bone. Is that true? From who? Takashi. Yes. Yes, that's true. Uh, but it, it was not on purpose, you know. It's like uh, today I got a tweet, or yesterday uh, it's on all the tweets. Somebody said, "Man, I saw your highlight reel, and man, when you go for a submission, you really tried to hurt him." I said, "No, I don't. I, I, I never had that, you know. If uh, that's actually uh, sometimes I, I, I should have done it. I think because then I would have maybe won that fight, you know, because it didn't commit all the way because I'm afraid to hurt him. And uh, the the shin bone broke because I saw a day before the fight. I it was early in my career. I saw an inverted heel hook from half guard on a big screen TV. And I look at my friend and I go like, man, that's a cool move. I should try that one time. And the next day I'm fighting a real fight and I'm in that position and his foot is there. And I go, oh, you know, might as well try it. So I hooked his heel, but since I never did it, I had no clue what kind of pressure I would put on his knees and on his shin and everything. So I just grabbed it, locked it, and then I fell backwards with my body. And then, yeah, we thought his knee blew. But it was his shin bone that uh, that broke. And listen, if I would have known, uh, if I would have done that move in training, I uh, I guarantee he would have never broken his shin because I would have I would give him that space. You know, it's like I'm, I'm there to fight. I'm not there to hurt somebody. Sometimes it gets personal when somebody's like an asshole to you, you know, and you go like, okay, uh, now I need to really shut this guy up. Then 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 it gets personal. But that's very rare. That almost never happens. Okay, thanks for that. Now we're gonna bring in our correspondent, uh, Shimblee. Hey, how you doing, Bass? Uh, how's everything? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, how you doing? It's boss, please. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, we met on Twitter earlier today, so you know. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you: Can you recall the story back in France where you and I think a friend had to sneak in to a theater to watch Enter the Dragon? Yeah, that's what, was me and my brother. That's when I was twelve years old. That was that's uh, that's what set yeah it was set everything off. That movie because that was the time that I got bullied a lot, and when I came out of that movie, I realized that if I would be like that guy, which was Bruce Lee, then uh, that would be the answer to all my uh, problems. So that's when I started training. I wasn't allowed to train for my mom and dad, but I started just getting books and watching and and you know imitating him and uh, learn how to kick just in the air and all that kind of stuff. But that, yeah, that really uh, made my decision to uh, become a fighter. All right. Uh, thank you. Um also have a follow-up about Bass uh, Rutten. Is that how you say it? Bass. Bass Rutten. Bass Rutten. Also, you are not a stranger to video games because you have been featured in many games, most notably for two games that I know of, You've been notably in uh, WCW versus the world, and also you've been notably in one of my favorite games, at least my favorite game series, Grand Theft Auto. Yes, I did. Grand Theft. Did you did you watch the TV show in the in the safe house? Did you ever see that? Um, yes, I did. Yeah, I think that is one of the best work I ever did. It was so funny to do that, and I did also the motion cap, all the fighting you see in the game. That's uh, myself and a good friend of mine. 
Can you wow. can you tell us further about your uh, experience working as a motion capture character? You know, because uh, I do have a funny story that I've been told about that. Okay, well, I'm a, you know, it's a, they they want you to hit the air, and then I told these people there, I say, you know what? It's it, when I hit the air and you make the motion and you, and you try to apply that to somebody, me hitting somebody, I don't think it looks real. And he says, what do you mean? I say it's better when I hit something solid, you know, like a bag or, or we put a dollar, because you're not going to see it anyway when you do motion cap. And uh, and we tried it out. We did the shadow boxing version first, and then I actually was hitting things, connecting with things, and that blew everything off the roof there. Everybody was like, holy Motown. That that made everything much, much better. So uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, the, 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 the show that I have, the TV show, that was so hilarious that I literally had to send people out of the studio because they kept messing my takes up because they started laughing so loud. And I go, please, man, don't do it because, you know, I want to keep it uh, this one-take thing because then it comes out the most weird because it had to sound psychotic, unrehearsed, like really crazy. And uh, But they were they were dying the whole time. So I said, okay, out the studio now and let me finish this thing. Otherwise, I can't finish it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Bass, and I hope to see you on Twitter soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. We do apologize, boss. Anybody wants to call you Bass. So we saw you, you see, I told you, fifty-fifty. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, speak, speaking of video games, I'm gonna let my co-host take over. He's a professional video gamer, and I'm sure he um, would like to ask some more questions about that. Actually, my next question really doesn't have to do with video game, but I, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, when I was training, um, I, I grew up in martial arts myself. I, I took Taekwondo, and then when, as I got older, I took, uh, uh, Aikido. Um, my biggest challenge in growing up in martial arts was meditation. And, um, it took me a long time, you know, of course, everybody thinks you throw kicks and punches and grapples and all that, and, you know, that's fine, but meditation was the hardest, uh, form of my training to really master to get me to that next level. So my question to you is, as you were training to become um, this, this this fighter that you are now, um, or the weapon that you've, you've become, what has been the biggest obstacle um, in your training that, you know, took you a long time to, to get over and or to master? You know, in the beginning when I was tie boxing, it was controlling the nerves. I was, uh, I was a super aggressive fighter. I was very technical. In training, I would beat the best guys ever. And then in the fight, well, I would beat them too. But, you know, if I wouldn't beat them in the first round, I would, would have a problem because I would run out of gas. I would just, if I started the fight technical, and then when I get hit, I'll, I'll just go blank and I just try to destroy that guy, which 14 times happened in the first round in a row. So that it, it worked good. But then, you know, once you go up there in competition and uh, you're going to face guys who can control their nerves and who know how to steer away from the aggression, yeah, you're going to have a problem. And um, I, I mastered it at the end a little bit in Holland, uh, but the, the complete turnaround for me was Japan. And I never know, never knew. I have a, a, a theory about it. Uh, I think that in Japan, when you go in Japan and you fight, the audience... It's, it's like, wait, you fight a Japanese guy, but the audience is also for you. It's like there's no negativity in the air. And I think I've always been very susceptible to 
to negative energy. Like in, in Holland and the rest of the world, for that matter, everybody's screaming and everybody's shouting. And, you know, it's very hard to to leave that, that negative energy away and don't let you get so up with it. And then you become like just an animal. And in Japan, I was amazed after my first fight. When I saw the pictures the next month, I came back from my second fight and they gave me the magazines with pictures in it for me beating the first guy up. And uh, I was like, wow, man, it was uh, my, I was so relaxed. Like when I would hit him, my facial would stay the same and the same as I'm talking to you right now. I would block a hard kick. You know, nothing would move in my face. And if you would have seen pictures of me when I was Thai boxing, every picture was like an animal face. I had, you know, tried to kill the guy. And I totally became a whole different fighter in Japan. And then when I went to America and four more fights here, it was that, it was easy for me to control the nerves here. It, 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 I got used to it there in Japan. And for some reason, I did not have that in Japan. Very weird. When I started MMA, I had never been any more that I was in a dressing room and I go, oh, my, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, it was, uh, I don't know, it, it was more of a game. I was excited. You know, finally, we uh, let's see if I, everything that I learned, if I can actually apply this now on this guy. And uh, I, I felt great. I felt uh, exciting, exciting. And, uh, and happy for some reason. So uh, it changed me. Wow. That's that's impressive for you to, to 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 have that experience there and then bring it here. And, you know, it, it's more uh, it's more respected over in Japan because it's more traditional, whereas with here it's, it's more entertainment slash sport. It's, and I'm not and I'm not saying that it's not respected here also. What I'm saying is, is that it's more entertainment here. Um, whereas in Japan it's more traditional and, um, you know, it's the respect level is, is, is slightly to know that that's, that's highly right. impressive, which yeah, but you know what, you're so good. You wow. know what the thing is also, it's, uh, it's, um, everybody in the rest of the world, except Japan knows it better than you. Here, here you have guys in the first row till all the way to the back rows shouting to you what you should do. You know, in Japan, they know that you're the professional and you're probably the guy who knows best what he should do. <laughs> you see what I mean? And, 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 and that's a good point. That's a good point. And I want you to build that up. It's, you know, I can uh, see that I just come up with this, and I think it's a great thing. It's like with Superman. When he gets his powers, you know, everything comes at him, and it comes too fast, and he doesn't know how to control it. He hears all these voices talking because everything goes too, you know, it's too much. He doesn't know how to channel it yet. That's how a right. first fight normally is. You go into a fight, and then everybody's screaming, everything. you don't know how to channel it. And once you get that power to channel it, you know, and some people never get it. And some, and, and, and I have a fighter now that uh, was a Thai boxer. He had it in his first uh, first fight. He, uh, literally everything I said to him, he would do, which is unheard of. You know, not a lot of people have that. Dwayne Ludwig also, always when I cornered him, whatever I say, he'll do right away, a second later. You know, and uh, it's a good quality to have. And what that means, you're listening and you're calm. Wow. Wow. That that is a good analogy. That is true. Everybody here in the stage try to tell the professionals what they do instead of letting them <laughs> fight like they should. Um yep. question bo question boss. Of course you acted in some movies and one of your most noted movies you acted with Kevin James and Summer Hike and uh Here Comes the Boom. Um, would you mind telling us about how they came about and um your experience working with them? Well, uh, you know, I know Kevin for 17 years, you know. I've been in a lot of little uh, movies with him, and uh, I, I was the voice in uh, Zookeeper. I was in Mall Cup uh, 1. I was in, but all little parts, tiny parts. And uh, 
you know, he, but he always kept me in mind, you know. And then when this part came up, you know, it was a big part. And uh, I heard from the Sony Studios, from Kevin, that in the beginning, you know, the Sony Studios weren't really sure if they should use me because, yeah, well, let's face it, I'm a fighter, not an actor. Although I've been taking acting classes for a long time. I actually come, I just, an hour ago, I came back from my acting class. I, I take acting still. And, um, you know, I, I did a short comedy in New York and I went to the New York Film Festival and we won first prize. And I was the lead in that comedy. So for what I understand, Kevin showed that movie to the people from Here Comes the Boom for the Sony people. And when they saw it, they said, okay, yeah, okay, we, we can use him. Because it was kind of, you know, the part that I play in that movie, uh, it's called Kingdom of Ultimate Power. I'm totally over the top, crazy guy. You know, I'm a Russian dude, really fast talking, like boss and uh, with 20 cups of coffee, you know? And, um, and, 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 and that's actually, they wanted that, that character, but a little toned down. And, uh, so when I found out that Henry Winkler wasn't there, I mean, come on, Salma Hayek, Salma Hayek, she was the, the chick that everybody wanted when I saw from Dust Till Dawn all the way back, you know, the movie when she's there singing or dancing with the snake and the stuff right. up there, you know, so she was always, uh, uh, on my list as a, as a chick and then the, the forms, you know, come on, and we, we what used to watch with the whole family. We used to watch, uh, uh, what is it? Happy Days in Holland. Every Sunday they played it in Holland, and everybody in Holland, you know, with the families, would watch that show because everybody was watching because of Henry Winkler, who played the films. You know, so when I found out that they are were also together with Kevin James in the movie, yeah, that was of course uh, Superman, and uh, we we had such a great time. Some I actually such a riot. You know, she might look like uh, she's a little hold back. She's not. You know, she's a scrappy girl. She just slugs a beer away like a guy does. She's hilarious. And then the forms is, yeah, the, you, you won't find a nicer guy than Henry Winkler. He's the nicest guy. Kevin, well, I knew that for a long time. He's just, uh, he's the same guy as when I met him 17 years ago. Okay. Now, we're going to switch it on over back to your fighting career. I know we're talking about happy-go-lucky things and happy stuff. You've been one of the most feared fighters. The one thing that you've been known for is your liver punch. Could you talk to us about the genesis of that and how you effectively use it? Well, it happened with me. I was a karate guy and a taekwondo guy who went to a Thai boxing class for the first time in his life. And uh, I thought I was a tough guy because I beat all my karate guys up and all the taekwondo guys. But then when I went to the Thai boxing class, I realized, okay, the, that was not really real, real fighting like that, you know? And uh, I got dropped with a liver shot. And I remember sitting on the ground and, and looking up at the guy who just did it, who was an A-class fighter in Holland. And uh, I go, whoa, what is that? You know, I couldn't speak. And he goes, yeah, well, that's where your liver is located. And if you hit somebody there, it goes down. So that always stuck in my mind. And then later when uh, the great Roman Deckers, who passed away tra tragically, uh, started using very effectively in Thai boxing, and he went to... Thailand becoming the first foreigner who, who got the Fighter of the Year award ever. You know, that's like the biggest honor you can get on the planet. I mean, he knows the king there uh, personally. And he started dropping people with body shots. And I go, oh, my God, this is it, man. I, I love that, you know. And it's very underused. Now more people start using it. But uh, at the time when I was fighting, you didn't see it a lot, you know. And I, I don't think in Pancras that I ever saw body, somebody go down to the body except when they were fighting against me. You know, and it's not saying from, oh, look at me, look at me. No, I'm just saying it It was very underused. You know, now you're watching the UFC and, 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 and anywhere, in Bellator and the World Series of Fight, now you see people, you know, using body shots. And uh, 
it's it's all about the delivery. You know, you you want to take him. You want to hit somebody when he's breathing in. You want to interrupt the breathing pattern. He can train five thousand sit-ups a day. He can do that. But if he breathes in while you're hitting him, you'll go down. It's impossible to to stop it because once you breathe in, you relax your muscle, and that's. So you have to throw it in such a way. You have to set it up in such a way that you nail them in between the breathing. And what the breathing most of the time happens when I hit you really hard. You do. You blow out, right? You you. And that's why you blow out. So you flex automatically your muscle. And right after that, you're breathing in. Now, and if you can nail them at that moment. That is the trick. That's why a lot of times you see it later in the fights, because once they start breathing or heavy, it's harder for them to control it. And then, you know, they, it's a, you might have more success nailing delivery shot at the moment they're breathing in. Sometimes you see guys, like, kicking a really gentle kick almost or a really gentle punch, and the guy falls over, and everybody thinks it's fake. And I say, no, it's not fake. That was, that was because he was breathing in, you know. That's the biggest thing in fighting, you know, interrupting the pattern of fighting and and once you can do that, well, you, they're going to go down. Okay. And this is say, kids, do not try this at home. Do not try to do the liver punch at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please do not. Um, your little brother, your cousins, do, and all that. Yeah. Yes. Please don't. Don't liver punch your wife. Don't liver punch your husband. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Um, but I know we on short time. Real quick before we let you go, um, anything that you want to plug? Anything that you want to let us know about? Uh, I know you have a. I know you on a great show, um, Inside MMA. Go ahead, go ahead and plug anything that um you need to for the appearances and shows. Well, yeah, Inside MMA on Access TV. It's every uh, night at nine thirty. Now we change the time. Um, uh, that's nine thirty Pacific. So at the East Coast, you better DVR it, uh, which a lot of people do anyway, uh, because you know Friday nights it's a uh, show and they watch it the next day. Um, of course, Boss Root, uh, Boss Root and MMA on Twitter and then Facebook, Boss Root and Facebook.com slash Boss Root. That's my Facebook. Everything that I do, I do myself. I have no people for that answering. On, on Twitter, I'm not an exciting guy. The only thing I do on Twitter is answering fans' questions pretty much. You know, it's not like I post the whole time what I'm doing. I've never been really like that. Sometimes I do with food pictures, you know, stuff like that I do. On Facebook, I put some more things out there. Because it's Facebook, you know, and let's uh, keep it up. What I um, uh, really like to people to look into the O2 Trainer, O2Trainer.com. It's an it's an uh, long training device that I developed when I was a kid when I had my asthma. And uh, what happened was after asthma attacks, you know, if I would resume my track and field because I was doing that as well, then uh, I would break my running times all the time. And I I never could understand why I would break my running times after an asthma attack until I realized when I was at the doctor's office when I saw a, a, a poster on the wall with a drawing of a pair of lungs, and I realized that the lung infection is in your lung pipe. It's the bronchiole uh, there, the, the alveolo, that's a big, that's the, the pipe that you breathe through, and that goes through your lungs. And when you have asthma, that pipe is infected. So then your lungs have to work really hard to pull air through that infected area because it's closed down. And that's gave me the, that gave me the idea right away. I go, oh, now I understand, because I've been for seven days or ten days, 24 hours a day, I've been trying to pull air through that little tiny hole because my lungs were infected. Then when the infection is gone, it's much easier for my lungs to breathe because they're used to that little tiny hole. So why don't I come up with something that controls the air intake? And uh, finally, I started making it like three years ago. 
and the results are phenomenal. You know, I had asthma my whole career. I even had, for my biggest fights, I had to use my inhaler in the dressing room. And uh, for the last almost now two years, I don't use an inhaler anymore. You know, I don't even have one with me anymore. When I travel, I go, I go without an inhaler, which is, I always had to bring one with me, you know, for my asthma. And uh, it's totally cured. I gave it to a friend of mine in Holland who has asthma, and he called me a week later or 10 days later, and he says, listen, I want to sell this thing in Europe because my asthma is gone. I said, I told you, you know. And then when you start reading the reviews from people, it's a very interesting, it's a very simple device. It only controls the air intake, but it's a very effective device. And, uh, and I would like to have, you know, more people go to that and, and realize really w- what powerful it is, such little device, and what it can do for you. It's great for singers. It's great for people who play horn instruments. I even have the Eagles sax player who's with him for 16 or 17 years uh, using it wow. and wrote a review on my website saying, man, he's got longer notes, stronger notes. So, you know, it's uh, the, the SAS from the, the UK, which is probably the best secret service on the planet, the best, uh, the, more, the baddest answers, also write reviews. I don't even know these guys, you know, and they uh, they write reviews. So, it's a, it's a cool device. O2Trainer.com would be great to know. It's a, if you do something by yourself, you got to get all the patents and try to get it out. There. People have no clue how much money you have to spend in order to make money. Right now, we didn't make money. Put more money in than you actually make. But I know eventually, when it gets into the hand of somebody known, and he goes like, hey, wait a minute, this is a crazy uh, invention, you know, then hopefully um, more people will know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, boss, uh, currently we are promoting your web your web page right now on our on our show, just to you know give everybody uh, more you know more clearance and more availability to your web page, so people can probably purchase your products or get an idea of um of what you have going on. So, real quick, uh, nice. fan wants to know real quick your thoughts on Barack Lesnar. Who say it again? A fan fan just sent us a message, and he wants to know what are your thoughts on Brock Lesnar. Brock Brock is a is a very strong individual, but I think that you know if I would have been his coach, I would have sent him to Holland all the way uh, in the beginning of his career, and I say I would have said, listen, you know how to wrestle, go to that train with the best five boxers on the planet, you know, and that's what he needs to do. He needs to fight on his weaknesses, and his weakness is striking. You know, and you nowadays you can't go do MMA with one style anymore. So once a guy like that knows how to strike, I mean that's a very scary thought. And you know something, boss, real quick, you, you know, we've asked Dan Severin um the same question we've asked Ken Shamrock and a lot of legends such as yourself, such as Shamrock, such as Severin, a lot of people tend to say similar things about Barack Lesnar. Nothing against his ability, nothing against his wrestling, but I believe even Ken Shamrock mentioned about his striking and that he has two left feet, quote-unquote. So, you know, a lot of fans tend to get upset, and we tend to let people know, you guys, y'all legends, you've been doing this all your life, Shamrock and you and Severin and others, so y'all know what y'all talking about. So if you have two or three legends saying the same thing about uh, another professional fighter, then it must be true. You know, it is true. I would never, you know, sometimes I say things about fighters and then uh, some people go, well, what if you have him on the show and he's going to say something to you about what you just said? I say, well, it's the truth, right? If he tells me, oh, that's not true, I say, no, it is the truth. <laughs> you know, if I tell you, you your striking sucks, well, then your striking sucks, you know? And for me to say that, 
that's really hopefully I kindly spark with you that you that he's going to say, oh, boss would have said I'm su- I suck. Okay, now I'm going to train two times a day. You see, then I hope that they, they they think like that. But most of the time, people a lot of fighters like to keep training in the stuff that they like the most and the stuff that will hurt them or or that they're not comfortable in, they want to stay away from that. But it should be the other way around. You know, if you're already a great wrestler and you got a lot of power, well, let's improve the striking department. And if you do that, well, you you can become a very good fighter. You know, it's it's what happened to me. I lost by submissions, you know, until the last time against Ken. And I, I got really fed up. You know, I don't like to lose. And that changed my whole life. I said, okay, from now on, normally I did like 10 times a week striking and three times grappling because I had no grappling partners. And I found one training partner and we started two, three times a day, only ground. And then I, uh, I, I never lost a fight anymore. It made me a completely different fighter. I won my next eight fights by submission. You know, yes, seven, but one, one fight was against Frank with submission control. So, you know, it, it changed my life. You work on your weaknesses and then, uh, and then you become great. That's, Everybody should know that, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I have one last question for you, boss, before you go. I, I know we're short on time, Tech. I'm going to make it quick. For all the little kids and um, the little boys and little girls who's listening, uh, maybe teenagers or young ones, who who being bullied, who who's being, who's being picked on, who wants to learn how to get inner strength, who wants to learn how to defend themselves, not hurt other people, but to defend themselves, um, what what advice would you give to them? You know, what are some words of wisdom that you can bestow upon them to kind of, you know, help them find their way? You know, in in, in America, then I have to say, like in America and it's in many other countries also, but especially, don't I hope the parents don't send them to a karate school or a taekwondo school or something because if you if they do that, make sure you Google and you find out what is really a good school. The problem a lot of schools have, and I'm talking 90% in the current schools here, and, and trust me, there are good ones, but it's just 10%, you know, but there's a lot of them, it's they only want to make money with that bell system. You know, I have my daughters in the school system here, and I thought it was going to be great for them. They never practiced their uh, katas. They never practiced anything. They went to do the yellow bell test, and they both passed. And I go, you passed these? And they say, yeah. I said, but they can't do it. You know, and they had no answer for me. I took them off karate right away. I said, because it doesn't work. In Holland, that won't work. If you don't pass the test, you don't pass the test. That's, you know. Let the, let a kid get used to it. That they have to work for the. He, I ask uh, women coming to me, especially women all the time. Like, oh my, my my son is a black belt, and then they call the son over, and the son has to kick her hand or something. Horrible, horrible kick, horrible technique. And I go, you know, and it's like, my guy is a black belt, a black belt. How can you be a black belt and be like that? So forget about that. Or you must know a really good school. So trust me that there are still good schools. I'm not saying that but only a very few because parents don't bring them there because kids don't like to fail and don't like to have to work for their uh, to, to get a belt. They just want to get it so they can say it to people. Bring them to an MMA school. There's no belt in, in, in sparring and there's no belt in sparring on the ground. Yeah. And that, that will get you become the best fighter. You know why? Because you're also going to get hit. And they say, oh, but you can't hit my kid. Yeah, well, you can. Like if you send a bully to a school, most of the time those bullies, they can't, they can't deal, with, but deal with it because they have lighter guys or younger guys beat the crap out of these bullies. And then they realize, like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, so that's how it feels to be on the other side. And they leave the school. Some bullies, they stay in the school. And guess what? 
suddenly they don't become bullies anymore because they realize, oh, you know, getting hit actually hurts. You know, cause and effect, I always tell parents. You know, if you hit a guy real hard in the face, well, that hurts. Well, it, it's fun when you get hit in the face, then you realize, oh, yeah, it does hurt. Maybe I shouldn't do that to other kids, you know, and what, especially once it becomes your profession. Why would you fight on the street, you know, only if people are attacking you? You know, if all the guys who fight on the street who are mixed martial artists and who pick fights, they're, they're losers. No, none of them is in even in the top 100. I guarantee you that because that's not how they go. A professional who knows he's good won't fight on the street, won't pick a fight on the street. That's what I mean. You know, if, if somebody challenges him, you know, it's like with me, I won't, still, I, w I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fight until, well, finally I will say, okay, you want to fight, you're going to have to take the first swing, dude. You know, because I cannot attack you. I have all these people watching here. Hit me, and then uh, we'll take up. If you really want to do this, if you really want me to kick your ass, hit me. You know, and then most of the time they, they realize, okay, maybe this is a different guy. Maybe I shouldn't do this. But that's a problem I didn't have for a long time. I haven't had a problem on the street like 11 years or something. You know, the last story for me is the whole Sweden story. And after that, I never had a problem anymore. So, straight to MMA, because that's where they learn everything. The ground, they, they know how to control people. Or if, a, if, a, if a friend of them going to get... Um, beat up, you know, maybe he can choke one out, and everybody's freaking out when I say, who are you going to get choked out? Because people who don't know mixed martial arts, and, and they hear about choking, they think, it's, they think it's the worst thing to do. It's actually the most humane way to stop somebody. When I was a bouncer, when I started understanding fighting, you know, I wouldn't beat people up anymore. I just choked them out, because why would I beat up a drunk guy who tries to beat me? I can beat him up easy, but why would he, why would I let him wake up the next day with his face beaten? You know, it, it was just not a fair thing. But if I choke him out and I tie his hands and I call the police, you know, now this guy's going to wake up in the cell, no harm done. You know, it's it's going to be much better for him and it's going to be much much better for me. I don't like to beat people up. Oh, they got to be real bad people. Yeah, then, of course, everybody likes that. Thank you so much. I, 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 I wish I could shake your hand. You have, oh, we, we got that part, right, Zach? We got to see Parents, if y'all listening, this is a world-class trained fighter who's telling you, take your children to a school, a good school, preferably an MMA school, which I will myself co-sign. Learn the right way. Don't go to these Kim Karate's with these belts and all that stuff. That doesn't karate. work. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I don't know if it's still around, but, I mean, you, you know the gist of it. These guys who got there, you get this belt, you get that belt and all that because – they they either don't know how to fight or they come with this confidence that, okay, yeah, I know how to fight because I learned some moves. And instead of defending themselves, they're now becoming bullies themselves. And that's not the way to learn to fight. I was taught that, you know, you don't learn how to fight, you learn how to defend. That's what I had to learn. And as I grew up in the martial arts, that's what I did. I learned how to defend. I won a lot of battles, a lot of fights. I lost some, too. But, I mean, I understood my mistakes, and I rectified it, and I fixed it. But thank you so much for saying that because yes. there are so many people who have this. In America, they have this. They watch too many movies and too many TV shows, and they think that they yeah. can just go out there and just do it. And, oh, wax on, wax off, so not going to work. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a shame, you know. It's such a useless thing. Fighting on the street is for nothing. Like, oh, he looked at my wife. Why well, should be happy? So that because it means she's a pretty girl. You know, so be happy, dude, man. Don't don't be angry. Why would I you know, they find any excuse 
to fight. It's a shame, you know. It's uh, and once you grow up, also because I I was a hot at too in the early days, you know. But still, you know, I was always very fair. But that was again because I was bullied, you know. Now if I would walk in the street and I see two guys against one, I always jump in, you know. And I, I'm not going to fight, but I say let's stop this. And then if they want to fight me, of course, then we'll fight. But you know, it's uh, just it's. It's so useless. The next day when you wake up after, uh, you know, when you've been drunk and you've been challenging people and then your face is beating, that's, you know, it's a stupid thing to do. Just relax, man. Have fun. Drink a beer and uh, go home. And if you're an angry drunk, don't drink. You know, that's also big advice there. Yeah, if you're an angry drunk, do not drink from boss. He said it. Drink a beer. Chill. And go to that's MMA it. school. Learn how to strike. <laughs> Boss, thanks, my right. buddy. Um, ho- hopefully, we can um, have you back on the show soon. Okie dokie. All right, man. Thanks, thanks a much. lot. All right, thanks. guys. Thank you. Godspeed. Right, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. Take, Bye. take care. Bye-bye. Everybody that was the legendary three-time King of Pancrease champion, mm-hmm. former UFC heavyweight champion, and he's mm-hmm. uh, had so many other accomplishments. Boss, not Bass. Boss. Yes, Boss. Uh, Shimberly kept calling him Bass. But it's cool because I called him Bass the first few times I, I called him. Home. I called him Boss, yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was Bass, so I said Bass, and he was like, no, it was, it's Boss. I'm like, oh, I was right. I, um, because it's Russian, you know, the way it's pronounced exactly. is usually the way they say it in, in Russian. It's Boss. But and, I thought it was Bass and, myself, so. And just and, and, um, real quick, and we're going to bring in um, – Bringing in live right now, Shimbley, real quick before we get uh, go over Survivor Series. Just to let everybody know the accomplishments the boss has. This man, like you said, won three times. Won the three, mm-hmm. won the King of Pancrease World Championship three times. He's won the UFC Heavyweight Championship once. He is a fifth-degree black belt in Kyokushin Karate. He's a second-degree black belt in Taekwondo. The first to be black belt in judo. He's also a Mu, uh, Muay Thai kickboxer. Anybody don't know what Muay Thai is? Anybody know Sagat from Street Fighter? That's the style that he does. So Tiger knee, really? Tiger uppercut. He really does it. Yes. Welcome back, Shin. Uh, his kickboxing record: really? 14, 14 wins. Okay. Okay. Two, whoa, whoa, whoa! Real quick, oh I'm interrupt this. Fourteen wins, two losses. Mixed martial arts record: thirty-three fights. 28 wins, 12 by knockout, 13 by submissions, 3 by decision, only 4 losses. So pretty much his record overall is 23 wins, 4 losses, his MMA background. So that means this man is 24 games over 500, which would be great if he was actually playing for the National Football League. It's great anyway, but just imagine if the Baltimore Ravens or those gay Pittsburgh Steelers anywhere else had a record of 23, 28, and 4. That would be a great record. So just to give you an overview of the accomplishments, and there's many more accomplishments that this man, Boss Rutten, has accomplished and everything that he's done in the sport. A legit legend, very good guy. Had no idea he dealt with eczema. I fans tech, I do with eczema in my hands. And, it, you know, he's a good example of so many people who tend to cry. They have little ailments, they have little setbacks, and they tend to make an excuse about it. But he is a prime example of he didn't let asthma defeat him. He didn't let eczema defeat him. He didn't let being a bully defeat him. If he was able, and he's, and he's a, you know, he's from another country. He's Dutch. So 
for him to be able to, to get past all of that, get past all his adversities, and still be able to make something out of his life to become a, a legendary fighter, a TV star, a movie star, then that lets everybody know, anybody listening, anybody that's a fan of wrestling and mixed martial arts, that's a fan of uh, anything else, that's listening to the show because they're a fan of just the show, period, of Tech or NFC Game Boy, even if you're a fan of uh, Shin, Shin Hands, if you have any elements in life, please don't let it stop you. If anything, use that as a more motivating factor uh, for you to perceive what you want to in life. So off that soapbox and the motivational speech, NFC Game Boy, real quick, your thoughts of Boss before we do a quick Survivor Series overhaul. I'm always excited to talk to fellow martial artists. Um, I've known about him. Uh, I remember when he won his UFC championship. That's back when I was watching UFC more uh, religiously than I do now. And, um, you know, I I, I remember seeing him on um, Here Comes the Boom, and I was like, I know that guy. And at the in the movie, I said, oh, you know, like I was telling my girls, you know, everything. And I was just honored to have a chance to talk to someone who's, you know, this guy's almost 50 years old. You know, he's been fighting majority his whole life. And he's such a class act, and, you know, he has so much to show for it. And he's straight to the point. You know, a lot of fighters, uh, they get they get hurt. They get, you know, they get aliens, um, things that happen to them. You know, he's still very healthy, um, very understanding of the sport, very much involved in his contributions, not just to the sport, but to asthma, people with uh, asthma and everything, you know, that right there is just, you know, a breath of fresh air, no no pun intended. But um, it was just an honor to get a chance to talk with him. I can't wait to have a chance to talk with him some more. Uh, I had yeah. some other questions to get to him, but um, great interview, man. Part two. Really good. Part two is coming soon. <laughs> like the Mubarakas. Yes. High quality. <laughs> On how you do that movie voice. But real quick, I believe, bringing on in, is this Larry Legend, trademark? This is Larry. Yes, it is. Believe everybody, hey. welcome. Live, 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 once again, introducing the song and presenting to others. Larry Legend, trademark, correspondent of Ring of Honor, CZW, Maryland Championship Wrestling. He's done it all. He's announced at the Great Madison Square Garden. This is Larry the Legend. Welcome back to Under the Match Radio. And also, your first time for all of those hands you on for Wrestling Powerhouse. Hey, man. Um, I appreciate you even reaching out to me to, uh, you know, to be a part of your show. Thank you. Well, first thing we want to get off, get off first. We didn't get a chance to ask you this, but everybody's dying to know. You, sir, or uh, winner of The Price is Right, is that correct? You know, not only am I a winner um, on The Price is Right, but uh, this interview is taking place two years to the date that I actually, or that the uh, the episode aired, um, huh. you know, nationally, that I won big, including, you know, the showcase, everything that you could win, I won it all. The only thing that I didn't win was... Uh, the the young lady who was you know a finalist with me. The only thing I didn't win was her showcase, but I won everything else. Mm. Yes, well, yes, I won. I won. I won big, and this is the this is the two year anniversary of it. It happened in in 2012. The episode aired 
and uh, here we are today. So, yes, I'm a, I'm a former winner of The Price is Right. I'm a winner of The Price is Right. Well, two-year anniversary, live, 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 definitely. Uh, if you get a chance, um, if you can't tell us hey, about wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I don't mean to uh, cut you off, but were you saying that this is the first time that I've ever uh, I've ever been on Powerhouse? This is the first time? This isn't certainly in the first time that I've been interviewed by you, I don't know. I mean, oh, no, no, no. You know. Now, see, see yeah, when is, we had you... Yeah, when we had you, we was with the other network, and there we're, you know, live, we're moving things on out with a bigger, broader audience. So not the first time we've had you on the show, but some of the listeners, this is the first time they get a chance to hear you on a, a bigger national network. Oh, fantastic. It's legendary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the second time, for the second time, let's do a legendary. I like it. Yes, it is. Uh, if you can, real quick, tell us your experience of uh, being on The Price is Right. I know so many people watch it on TV. Everybody grew up and watched it at some point. Um, if you can, tell us about your experience of winning and um, how it was. Oh, you know, it was, um, you know, it was, um, it was television. Do you understand? It was television. So um, my thing about it is that um, I was very genuine in the whole reason that I even was a contestant was because it was my mom's birthday. You know, a lot of people a lot of people don't know this part of the price is right, but that that whole thing was a birthday present to my mom. My mom had never been to LA. She um certainly had never been to see the price is right. And um I, I as well had never been to LA so her birthday present that year from her her son, you know, the legendary Larry, was, you know, all expenses paid trip, let's go out and visit L.A., you know, for the first time as a, you know, son and mother, you know. And um, by the time I had gotten us out there and gotten, like, the hotel and the rental car and everything, I was pretty much broke. But someone had told me, that, um, you know, all you have to do is sign up for the, the show The Price is Right. All you have to do is sign up and show up when you say that you will, and you can go in and watch them tape it, and everybody knows that with The Price is Right, not only can you watch them tape it, but, hey, you might be up on the stage, you know, on right. television, you know. So I was very genuine the whole time that this was all about my mom and her birthday and her birthday experience. But once I got to the studio, you know, I was like, okay, it's lights, camera, action, you know, let's let's have a good time, you know, and I wanted my mom to have a good time. And, you know, I started to realize that there was a potential that I could get called up because up until this point, you know, I've been so genuine about, the story, you know, of what, what even had gotten me to be a contestant that, um, you know, I started thinking that, hey, maybe I could get up there. And if I do get up there, I'm going to need to know, you know, this stuff because I, I'm not a big, I don't watch the, I, well, we all watch The Price is Right, but, you know, I'm not like that avid of a follower of it. I, I'm more of a Bob Barker guy myself, you know, that's, that's the era that I watched, but I, I, I was thinking I might get up there, and if I do, I need to know what to say, 
And that's when, right there, before the show aired, I, like, in the audience to my mom, I said, okay, now if I make it all the way to the end, what is the average price that, uh, you know, that showcase, you know, the whole kit and caboodle is going to fall between? And, you know, my mom, she watches The Price is Right avidly, you know, so I knew. I knew that she was going to know the answer. And she told me, son, she said it's going to be anywhere between 37000 and 50 grand. And I said, 37000 and 50 grand? And she said, that's right. And I said, all right. And lo and behold, once the show actually started, you know, third contestant, Larry Mercer, come on down. And I was like, okay, television, television time, you know, like, just like excited, it's go time. And hey, at the end of the day, this is my mom's birthday present, so let's really go off, let's go all out and, you know, do this thing. Like, I know the price is right, you know. And they called my name, the third one down. And um, then the first thing when I was in the contestants row that I got to bid on were a pair of Nintendo 3DSs with, like, five games each. You know, that was the first thing that I got to bid on. And I thought to myself, well, I'm a big Nintendo nerd, especially Mario, you know, so this is great. I'm going to nail it. But I also was a little overwhelmed because I couldn't believe it actually that I had gotten called and that I was actually up in the contestant's row, you know, and they brought Drew out and everyone's clapping and whatnot. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't bid correctly for the, the two Nintendo 3DSs. And uh, the first, another girl got called up and she she played the first game, which actually... Hindsight was a very difficult game. It was some game, you know, where you could win a new car, you know, and uh, it was like you had to guess something. I think it was like you had to roll the die, and if the die, I think it was high-low with the, with the dice, and you had to put yeah, the numbers, whatever it was. Right. It, it was one that I, I knew that I was not going to be good at, so I actually was relieved that, um, you know, this girl, you know, had gotten up there, and she actually didn't win her thing. But the second one, well, what happened was that after she went up, I looked back at my mom and my bid, and I could see my mom shaking her head in disappointment, like, you know, and telling me that I bid the wrong amount. And I decided right then and there, I was like, well, you know what, from now on, I'm just turning around and looking directly at my mom to see, you know, and, like, see what I should bid for these prizes, because I don't watch, but I know my mom does, and... Even at the beginning, I asked her right before the show started, you know, what is the average that showcase showdown is probably going to be. So after I had gotten disqualified from the first time to get up on stage, you know, I was like, you know what, forget this. I'm looking at my mom, you know, (laughs) you know, because, again, genuinely, this is about her, you know, like. She's. The, I think she's the reason that I'm up here. This is great television, you know, like, so, right. you know, the second thing that they bought down was this 51-inch plasma screen TV. And I thought to myself, this will probably be like $1,300, you know, and I think I, t- I, think I turned around and I had to have mouth to my mom, what, and she told me it was uh, 
I think she told me 12. She told me 12, and I mouthed back to her 12. And, like, everyone, the whole audience is going crazy because, you know, there are people, like, you know, yelling at you what they think it is and whatnot and, like, just making a scene. But, you know, I had my eyes locked on my mom, and she told me 12. So I did that much, and I believe it was 11.99. So, or whatever it had to be for me to get up there and, I got up there, and that was that was the first prize that I won on the Price is Right, that 51-inch plasma TV. That was the first thing that I won. Wow. And then the game that I actually won when I was up there with Drew, oh, yeah, so I got up there with Drew Carey, and, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you know, uh, look at us both in our, our, suit, our, our nice attire because I had a, a shirt on, a shirt that it was like a tuxedo. You know, you know, one of those gimmicky shirts where it like looks like right. you're wearing a tuxedo, but it's actually a t-shirt. You know, I had one of those on, and um, you know, so they looked at us both dressed up. And this this whole part you can watch on YouTube. All you have to do is type into YouTube "Larry Legend on the Price is Right," and this entire part that I'm describing that you can watch this. Um, but you know, I got called up. What's that? Yeah, um, our correspondent right now is going to post that up right on the show page. So everyone can see it. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah, that's um, that you can see that. Uh, but when I got up there, you know, Drew asked me where I was from, and I told him I was from originally from Baltimore, Maryland, currently living in the Bronx, New York. And he was like, uh, "Oh, the Bronx, New York. You're coming up in life, or you're moving up in life. Something, some sort of slick Cleveland, you know, Drew Carey thing, you know." And, you know, I'm like, I guess, you know, and, and he was like, um, you know, um, what do you do? You know, and I said, well, I, I work part-time retail because that was the truth, you know, and I was like, and I moonlight as a professional wrestling ring announcer, you know, and, and Drew kind of did one of those, like, like take it aback for a second moment that he was like a professional wrestling ring announcer. And I was like, that's right. And he was like, oh, well, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, what you do? Like, you know, announce as if it's me and, uh, you know, George over there. And George is his announcer, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, um, I'll only do it if I get, you know, George's permission because, you know, I'm an announcer, you know. And, you know, if I'm the announcer, you know, I, I, I hate when um, – well, I'm professionally doing what I need to do, and, like, sometimes uh, the promoter will need to say something, and, like, you know, they'll they'll just, like, take, you know, take the microphone from me and, like, the whole, you know, formal way that the whole entire show has been sounding is, like, broken into by, you know, a different type of voice, and that really bothers me as a professional, you know. So mm-hmm. I I did that as a professional announcer, as a courtesy to him, you know, that to just say, you know, this is your show, this is your microphone. Yeah, this guy's the host, but you're the announcer, you know. So right. I said that I'd only do it with his permission, and right. uh, you know, he kind of jokingly responded that we only need one announcer here on the Price Is Right, and you know, the crowd loved that, and I kind of, you know, reacted like, oh, you're not going to let me announce this, and then he. <laughs> Sort of just said, you know, he sort of said, you know, I'm just joking. Well. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, no, I'm just joking. I don't care. Uh, do whatever you want to do. And that's when I, you know, proceeded, I proceeded to go ahead and do like, you know, a, a, a CZW or MCW Larry Legend style announcement, you know, like right there on the Price is Right, as if it was, George, you know, George, the announcer, 
versus Drew Carey. But the only thing was is I didn't, I'm not as familiar, like I said, with the Price is Right, especially now that it's the Drew Carey Price is Right. I'm more of a Bob Barker guy. Bob Barker, he had right. An announcer, right. He had an announcer called Rod Roddy. You know, like uh-huh. we all remember Bob Barker and Rod Roddy, you know. But and, and if I'm correct, Larry, not, not to cut you off, Bob Barker has outlived, I believe, at least four or five announcers, I believe, on The Price is Right. Oh, why are you I know it's at least three. That, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, not anything wrong. It's just, a, it's just a quick trivia fact is that Bob Barker, who's you know, who's agent, who's one of those people that 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 does never go away. That's you know, like a relic that never go. Is as long as he's been on the show, it's been at least three or four, um, you know, announcers on the show. Which the show was great. Real quick, Larry, while we got you, um, for wrestling. Real quick, when you think of ring announcing, well, who is the first person that pops in your mind and why? When I think ring announcing? Yes, in wrestling. I mean, I guess myself. Well, let's Good answer. yourself. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess myself. <laughs> okay. And, okay, since you mentioned... Since you mentioned yourself, and, and I'll say this real quick before turning over to um, Game Boy, what makes a Laurie Legend ring announcement different from everyone else's, from Stephen the Angels, from Defink, from David Michael Capetta, from, uh, um, you know, all the other ones, to, um, you know, uh, Tony Chimmel? What makes your ring announcement, your ring announcing, your, your introductions, your style different from everyone else? All right, well, firstly, you're going to go, hold on. Firstly, it's, it's Gary Michael Capetta. But, um, Gary, I'm sorry, Gary, you know, I'm thinking of uh, it's, all right, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. I have to because, you know, I'm an announcer and so is he, you know, so I, I have to, um, you know, even though I didn't have so pleasant of an interaction with him once, but that's another story. Um, I, you know, what doesn't is that, um, and I often try to separate myself as being more of like uh you know, kind of like the host of the show as opposed to the the the, uh, the ring announcer. I kind of like to think of myself kind of as the MC of the show as opposed to, like, you know, the ring announcer. So when you mention a ring announcer, Justin Roberts, he's a great ring announcer. You know, Lenny Leonard, he's a great ring announcer. When you think of people like Larry Legend, and I kind of put myself in the same category as, uh, like, an announcer like Gavin, you know, loudspeaker. It's like, um, you know, we have to be kind of be seen as a movable piece of the, you know, the show because we're the host of the show. We, we host the show and, in addition to that, you know, announce, like, in the style of a ring announcer. So what really separates me from other ring announcers is that I kind of, can exist on a couple different sort of advertisements type of sort of, you know, selling products and interactions with, uh, you know, the crowd really up close and personal as opposed to just being the guy to say, standing to my left weighing 213 from Gainesville, Georgia. You know, I can, I can, I can be more of the host of the show, and that's what makes the show legendary. That's what makes you say, that was a great show. And it's just that little extra that, is what I can add, and I think that's gotten me as, uh, you know, kind of as far as I've gone to this day. 
I'm, 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 I mean, am I done talking? Am I done talking about the prices? Right? I mean, that because we were up to the part where I'm about to win something else big, or we could we could just you know forget about well, that well, and, and, and move. And, we, yeah, we'll um we'll we'll get we'll get back to the prices right. Cause I know I know we have I know um people on Facebook and others do have some more, a lot more wrestling questions for you. But we'll we'll get back to the prices right um before we. Like all right, all right. Sorry about that, Larry. No, no, that's all right. Cause, <laughs> Sorry I mean, about that. If you're gonna if you're gonna ask, I'm gonna tell you about it. And you know, I got <laughs> I got pretty far in the story. I mean, we all know because at the beginning of the interview you asked, but yeah, I was a winner. But yeah, I'll. You know, I was up to the part that you can see on YouTube, so everybody who's listening, you can just watch that part I was describing when we moved on. You can just watch that on YouTube. Oh, it's posted on the site now, so, uh, yeah, sorry about yeah, the audio people problem, can see. So. People can see. I know, yeah. It, it exists. Well, Larry, oh, Larry, I have a question for you, and it was a question I wanted to ask you. Um, the last time we had you on Under the Mat, um, you know, you gave us a story about when you were starting out um, – the Carmelo Anthony uh, story. Uh, uh, you pretty much. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, how Carmelo? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, how you know you were getting into your voice and uh, you were being mocked and, and and made fun of. And uh, I was telling you a similar thing that I had with you is that I'm constantly told, especially by some of my peers, that I quote unquote talk white or I quote unquote sound yeah. white. You know. Yeah, yeah I think and, um, I think that's. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I'm almost finished. But the the my question to you is is that um, after the show, I got a couple uh, calls and um, hits from um, fans out there who also had that same problem. So um, right. I told them the next time I come across you, I was going to ask you. And now since I have you on the show on the air, here's my question: uh, to the fans out there who are listening and who are going through that same problem of quote unquote sounding white. What do you, what advice do you give to them to 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 make them feel a little bit more uh, ease with themselves, um, like you had yourself? Um, I, I would I would recommend that um, they continue to to talk white um, because probably they're getting that pressure um, from other members of the community, not necessarily you know, the community defined by race, but just, you know, peer groups, they're probably getting that pressure by members of a, a group that identify with, uh, you know, sounding a certain way. And, um, you know, you can kind of exist as as one of the ones that sound alike or you could sound different. And what you'll find is that the more that you sound, the, dip, the more that you sound different, the further in life it will take you. And the people that were saying, you know, you sound white or why do you talk like that, they'll continue to exist with the other people that sound like them because they are not brave enough to sound different. So to all of the people that are listening and, and might have people that are in their community Again, not necessarily defined by, you know, racial community, but just their peer groups. If anyone is pressuring you to sound a different way or to sound more like, you know, normal, I say don't. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Ty. 
You do. I'm going to say, and, and Larry is right, I, I do agree with that. Now, you have so much in, in our community that, uh, you know, if we talk proper, if we say our words right, if we're not using the bonics or slang or, um, you know, you know, using common words, you know, the, the ratchet and, and where you be at and where you be and, and all this stuff, we got to talk. We're talking whites. And it's sad that as black people, we can't talk proper. We try to do something proper. It got to be white. It can't just be, oh, you're talking black, or it can't just be, okay, you're talking professional. That's how you're supposed to talk. Everybody has a mindset of to talk black, you got to talk. Um, you can't talk right. You got to use a bond. You got to use slur. You, you can't form your words correctly. You can't speak well. You know, and, and, and I said, so we give you... Uh, big ups to Larry for speaking different, for saying your words correctly. I I took speech classes growing up in school. I know NFC Game Boy, um, he took speech classes. I have a lot of buddies who took speech classes, and it's good to speak proper. It is, and we want to give you big ups for that too. Yeah, if you want the best, well, if you want the you best know, advice, if you want the best advice, all I recommend is that you read to your children. All that you have to do is read books to the children. Right. Um, that's all you have to do. Well, you know, that'll that be that be the talking well, you know, proper. Um, yeah, the talking proper. That's all the that's the way that you do it. Is just read. I try to read books to my godson every time I'm around them. One is four and one is seven, and I just try to read, read, read around them. You know. Good. That's good. That's a good point. Shannon, do you want to come on in? Well, you know, Tech. Uh, since we're talking about quote unquote talking white, we always have that movie now called Dear White People to address people now. So, um, you know, I think I think all three of us have that problem. You know, I have it going on an everyday basis. People say it on the phone when I when I'm doing uh, talking to people about interviews and everything. You know, they meet me in public. It's like I was expecting a white dude to come out. So I I pretty much had that problem ever since growing up. And you know, I used to go home to my mom and say. You know, I hated it, and she would just tell me that it's nothing wrong with your voice. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. And I found out on the back end that, you know, I'm doing a lot better than, than most of the people that was tormenting me when I was a kid. So that's it's what, like, you know. I, that's um, what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I said. You you will find that the more and more that you you sound different, the further in life it will take you away from the types of people that would antagonize someone for, you know, sounding different or, or try to shun them or make them not a part of the community because of the way that they sound. The more that you sound different, the further away you'll, you'll get from those types of people, and you'll notice that you'll achieve, and those people, I'll, 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 they will achieve different, but maybe their different is not really the ideal, you know, when you look at the larger picture, you know, uh, but yeah, that's the point that I, um, I also agree with you, Shen, you know, it's like you'll, you'll see and you're, you're, you're experiencing it and certainly, you know, talking to y'all right now being interviewed, I'm experiencing that my, you know, you know, talk being different has just done nothing but great things for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, well, I got to say, thanks to that. I got to, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, well, I got to say, you know, uh, right now we're having a breakthrough moment. You know, under, under the Mat Radio is four black brothers talking, like white people, if people want to put it out like that. And maybe I could say 
on behalf of Tech NEC Game Boy, maybe Larry the Trademark Legend, Larry Legend Trademark, for those who don't like our voice, for those who've been tormenting us as kids or whatever have you negative, we can tell you right now to kiss our asphalt when we curb stomp you bitches. And this is the first time, and, and this is the first time I believe the sensational one has actually used vulgar language. So very, very, uh, very strong breaking news from the sensational one, Shimblade. Uh, NFC Game Boy, I, I know. But don't forget the road trip episode. Nope. Yeah, that, that's don't forget it. the. Um, don't forget that. Yeah. Dog a road trip. Um, Larry, yes, your career. Sir. We want to give you big ups too. I, I, I know you know we follow you, uh, me, NFC Game Boy, Shane, well, our friends outside of um, the business. Want to give you kudos. Talk to us real quick. You finally got to appear at Madison Square Garden, and I know that's that's the mecca of of wrestling. That's just one of the biggest arenas. Um, media-wise, there is. Tell us about that. Um, that was that was great. That was great. That was a great, great, great weekend. That was a great weekend. That was um, I, I you know what I found out about it. I think a week and a half before, I had to have found out about that. You know, maybe July the twelfth, and the show was July the twenty-sixth. You know, so not too much time to prepare, and it was sort of kind of being worked out at first. Like when they first reached out to me, it was like, all right, we'll get back to you. Okay, how much are you going to be? You know, like this sort of talk was going on, and I was sort of kind of like, well, I hope, you know, this would be great. And they had come out, you know, and let me know that it was really the undercard that they were thinking about having me, you know, be a part of, um, you know, I, I knew, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be the main. I wasn't going to be the main announcer, but you know, you know, still with the negotiations, I was like, kind of like, well, they might go with someone else, maybe someone more professional or unionized, or who knows what, what else. But it finally came through, like probably by the 14th. All right, you're going to do it, you know, which gave me, you know, however many days to sort of prepare myself for, you know, travel and sort of, you know, figuring that into my life. And it was really a hectic situation because the next day in uh, Laurel, Delaware, was Ring of Honor, Future of Honor 2. Uh, you know, we, we had a Ring of Honor show that, um, you know, I was the, uh, the, the announcer for. So it literally was a weekend that was Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, the, the Laurel Firehouse 81, you know, Firehouse, which is where the Ring of Honor, the Future of Honor show was, it was like just like a huge, like one night riding the elevator down with Donald Trump, you know, the next night, you know, talking over like, you know, weight and nutrition with Moose at a firehouse. You know, like that was, that was, so it was a, it was a, it was a great, great, great weekend for me, but it was very, hard as well because, you know, I'm not, you know, flying on a jet to these places. It was like, you know, rent a vehicle, you know, on my own dime, you know, drive up here. Um, I thought that I was going to have enough time to, uh, I thought I was going to have enough time when I drove up to New York to 
to visit my godkids before Madison Square Garden, but I ran into all types of traffic. So I also have, uh, you know, some of my, <laughs> I kind of have pieces of my wardrobe, some in New York, you know, like press, you know, tuxedo, Ralph Lauren shirt, you know, my godkids house. I wanted to grab that, but I had no time to get all the way to the Bronx and I didn't want to be late for Madison Square Garden. So I had to like, just go to Macy's and just buy like, you know, one of these shirts, you know, um, so it was a, it was a lot of a lot of expense, but it was Madison Square Garden, and it kind of put a whole lot in perspective about where I was in life. That I'm working for a great company like Ring of Honor, and like you know hosting a show. When you think of the the magnitude of that, I'm hosting the future of Honor shows. You know, like and that was that one was a great one. Um, it was a real great experience to be a part of that. But you know, here's on one token you know, Madison Square, a future of honor. You know, it was just a great weekend for me. It was it was very nerve wracking until I got in the building too. And at first there were no, there were no media credentials or press credentials or whatever staff credentials. I don't even know what, what category I've I really fall into. There was no credentials for me at first. When I first went to like, you know, go in like I was a you know, a staff member and you know, you know, the security for Madison Square Garden, the security for Madison Square Garden, they all wear you know, these crimson, you know, jackets, you know, and mm-hmm. very like, you know, they all communicate on these walkie-talkies and whatnot, you know. So it was kind of like I had to stand there for a little bit, you know, while they were sort of checking over things because my name wasn't on some list. But eventually, you know, the man came down and got me, you know, like the, the man. Uh, and when I say the Yes, hold on. When I say the man, I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gentleman, the gentleman who reached out to me to begin with. You know, and, uh, you know who who was like you know the, like not the promoter, but you know who I needed to see about you know that paperwork, uh, you know all of this, you know business. So he came down the man. himself. Yes, the and man he, uh, himself. He, he yeah he. he he wanted to. He wanted to take. He wanted to take me on up, but they they insisted that you know, some sort of like a lanyard. They had the, the whole machine right there. They created a lanyard for me, you know, to make sure that I would be okay with just maneuvering all around there for the remainder of uh, you know, the production. And uh, then I got taken up to the fifth floor, and that's where they take you. The fifth floor is like the the ground level of where you know. All of them come out, you know, and all of them play ball, you know, so. At that point, the I was fifth like, floor, well, ground right? level. Of, of like where the fifth floor is like, right. is like when you get out on the fifth floor, you're on the level of like I'm walking out to the ring at Madison Square Garden, not the ground, I mean, like where the front row seats are, right. essentially. So, right. you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean the ground level of the arena, not like, you know. So, you know, I was up there and I was like, wow, you know, I'm here. And then, you know, the words of one of my, you know, biggest mentors, ruckus kind of like like went through my head he was like you know when you get there and i mind you he said that when you get there he was like just remind yourself that it's just another show he was like no matter where it is if you just remind yourself once you get there that it's just another show you know you'll be fine and then like i said i was up there looking at the big, like, you know, massive, like, screen that hangs above the ring and everything, looking at the lighting, and I'm like, well, it's just another show. And uh, Did you get emotional? My... 
real quick, like, did you did you get emotional? Because Madison Square Garden is one of the few uh, legendary venues when it comes to wrestling or performing. I know a lot of, um, you know, the Cow Palace and the Omni, and I know the Sportatorium is no longer around, you know, in Texas. You hear a lot of the boys talk about wrestling in, in historic venues, and Madison Square Garden is one of the few that's still around. So, you know, did you get emotional? Is it like a certain type of aura that comes over you when you walk into the building? I mean, what I'm explaining to you right there is, is why I didn't get emotional or, or, you know, like start feeling any kind of way. Like I said, it was nerve-wracking getting up there because it wasn't just like I walk in and go to, you know, the dressing room. It, it was some, you know, the man had to come down and, like, vouch for me. You know, it felt like that, you know, and then, you know, I had to then wait even longer for this little, like, lanyard, you know. So somebody wasn't, you know, doing, you know, their job somewhere in the whole chain of command. So I'm frustrated a little bit, but, you know, but we're we're up there now. We're up on the fifth floor, you know, and, like, when I stepped out there, when I stepped out there to look at, like, the lighting and, like, I, I think I took a picture, I think I took a picture right away of just sort of the, you know, the setting, you know, the empty arena of Madison Square Garden, and I posted that on, on Facebook, like, check-in time or something like that, you know, whatever it is. Right. And the whole time, you know, the man who's come and got me, you know, he, he and I are sort of chatting, you know, about things and, you know, whatever. But like I said, the words, you know, of one of my mentors, you know, who really, just, you know, got me very far in this game early on, Ruckus was like, if you if you look at this like it's just another show, then you're not gonna get all emotional and like, oh my God, I'm in Madison Square, you know, like it's, 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 that's not that's not what I'm doing when I'm at the arena. That's not what I'm doing when I'm at the Elseworlds. So you know, you're here because you know you're good. So right. you know, it's just another show. You know, it doesn't matter where it is, you're there. You know, and like I said, his words was kind of prophetic because he was like, when you get there, he was like, just when, remind when. yourself, it's just another show. <laughs> so When you get there, the man will come for you. Oh, yeah. The man came for me. The man came and collected. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want to say something. All jokes aside and everything, Larry, yeah. you know, for me, George, you know, Evan and Shin and Under the Mat. I want to say congratulations to you, brother, for being yeah. at one of the most prestigious places in the country and doing yeah. what you love to do and doing what you're great at and, and, and you know, knocking it out the park. I don't know too many black ring announcers, professional black ring announcers, and I damn sure don't know a black ring announcer who have announced in the prestigious Madison Square Garden, and now I do. And I'm glad to have a right. chance to say I know you before and I knew you after. So, exactly. you know, all jokes aside, you know, we are here. I want to say behalf of all of us on this show, congratulations to you, brother. That's a, a profound That's achievement a in your life. And I, I yes, it is. wish you we wish you the 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 most and the best out of your profession. I know you got much, much more to give and much, much more to do. But for right now, that is a hell of an achievement, man. Yeah. Congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. That's that's more like the time that you get emotional is when, you know, somebody, you know, puts it in that type of perspective, you know, like because, um, 
you know, when you say in the words that you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know, I don't know how many black, you know, there's, there's the Golden Voice Theodore uh, Stefan Benson, the former Nigerian Nightmares announcer. You know, he's a brother that's out there doing it, but, you know, uh, you know they have Byron, brother Byron. He's in that role kind of right now on, on, on TV. And, um, you know, so here and there, you know, but... Yeah, I'm one. I'm I'm I am the one right now that's really grinding on the sort of host MC, you know, ring announcer level that, you know, is like us. So, you know, when that's the that's the time you get emotional, you know, not when it's showtime and you and you're in that place, you know, and you're in that place is 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 just another show. But when somebody, you know, breaks it down for you like that and just congratulates you for being you know, one of a kind, that's when you get emotional. So I I appreciate those words and thank you. And, and, no problem, and, and we will say, it's rare we'll say too. Rare that, uh, we, real quick, Shane, go ahead. Uh, it's, it's rare that we we actually meet one. I mean, you know, from under the mat, um, it, it's been it's been a great honor. I mean, honestly, you know, as far as being brothers, we we'll probably just buy tickets. It'll be a, we'll be on the other side of the fence. So it's it's a great honor. And then plus. If if any of us three did it, we probably choke up a little bit ourselves too. Yeah. Well, I I I will mention to you real quick before we get more into more into wrestling that um, as NFC Game Boy says, uh, under the mat radio started almost a year and a half ago, and man, NFC Game Boy said many uh, meetings uh, at his house, at my house, at events. Um, Larry, you've seen us at uh, you know loafers and different places. And you 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 blazed the trail. You being a black announcer, being a black mm-hmm. MC, um, being the only one really right now doing it. Us being the only and the first all black successful wrestling radio show in not only Baltimore, Maryland, but around the world. For us to win an event, for us to win awards, for us to get accolades from legends like J.J. Dillon and Rip Rogers and all of those that really look out for us, it can get emotional. Because number one, we went out for it. And when NFC Game Boy got emotional, I got emotional. You know, it was a big thing for us that, you know, of course, we all got bigger goals and bigger things to do, but for us to blaze the trail to be the first, if not the first, one of you few to say that we did something like this, that's a, that's a big thing. It is. I, I hear you. I hear you. And you know what? I guess in a lot of ways there were there were times when I kind of, you know, and I and I don't mean to say when I was coming up, but there were times when I was in certain situations where I kind of looked around and I kind of got emotional that um, I was in the places that I was doing the things that I was doing. Um, for example, back in 2011, you know, I did the Dragon Gate shows. I was the host of the Dragon Gate shows in Atlanta, one in, one in North Carolina and two in Atlanta. They were like kind of like when you know, Dragon Gate was doing these three-shot deals, and um, I had never been that far south, you know, to announce. I had really only been in Maryland, New Jersey, New York, and, and uh, PA, you know, in Delaware, you know, that little kind of like this little mid-Atlantic pocket, you know. But now, you know, I got to the point where I had made enough connections to be announcing some pretty some pretty prestigious in the in the realm of wrestling shows, you know, you know, in Atlanta, two in Atlanta and one in um in Burling in Burlington, North Carolina. So I remember getting emotional 
back in 2011 when I, the first time that I went far down south, you know, to be the host of a show. I remember getting emotional on that trip a couple times. You know, I kind of got choked up. I was like, you know, and it wasn't glamorous at all. We was all just in a van, you know. It was just like we were all in a van and staying at different hotels. Well, me, I stayed with um, I stayed with A.R. Fox the whole time right. that I was down there, you know. But, um, you know, it was just, it was just emotional, you know, being, you know, going down down south for the first time, that many miles away from my home to announce, you know. Um, th- but then the second time, you know, you know, it's it's just another show, you know. We're we're there, so I can I can relate to the, uh, you know, just sort of that emotional way that you can get. But by the time, you know, Madison Square Garden came around, I, and I guess in a lot of ways, I had already announced the theater at Madison Square Garden. I had already announced two events there. And the third time that I got invited to do a show in Madison Square Garden, it was the Garden Proper. So, you know, I, I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, you know, with that whole it's just another show, having already kind of sort of done the garden, you know, like it is the garden, it's the theater at Madison Square Garden. On the night that I did it, like in the big garden, it was Kevin Hart. It was the night that he was filming that movie um, that came out. I don't – or that the second time it was Kevin Hart – the first time it was uh, the Knicks, so it was Carmelo, you know. So, okay. and I remember, I remember kind of just thinking to myself, you know, I'm in the because the theater is actually below; it's actually located below the Garden proper. I was like, wow, I'm down here, and Carmelo's up there playing, you know. And I felt some kind of way about it. And then the second time, it's like I was down below, and Kevin Hart's up there doing. I just thought it was a show, and then I found out that's where they filmed a lot of that movie you know, whatever his live movie was that came out, you know, that night was I was doing a Muay Thai show in the um in the um theater of the garden. You know, um and um so that the garden proper show was the third time that I was invited there. So I guess I don't want to say the like the luster was lost off of it because there still was a moment and, and I was soaking it in and I will never forget it and I can't wait to go back, you know, but you know, I, I it, you know, I had to get myself together, you know, and, and do what it is that brought me there so I could be invited back, you know, because, I, you know, this was the first time on July, you know, 26th or 27th, whatever day it was, you know, this was the first time that I, I was in the garden proper, but it certainly won't be the last. So, you know, I, I couldn't, I didn't have time to get emotional that day, you know, but I, I can relate to it, though. Real, real, real quick, Larry, I believe we have a fan that wants to, um, Come on in and ask you a question if that's fine. That's uh, all right. Are you cool? Are you cool? T four zero. Welcome to Under the Mat Radio with Larry Legend. My question for Larry is: What's his favorite Mandy Leone story? My favorite Mandy Leone story. Thanks, Shiggy. Oh, okay. I got one. Um, oh no, that's just a story. Let me think of my favorite one. Hold on. Um. Got Larry Legend stumped. Mm. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just because I gotta think my favorite. You know, a couple stories. You know, uh, ah, okay. I got my favorite Mandy Leone story. My favorite Mandy Leone story is, uh, I believe it was at the Summer Heat tour in August in Philly for Ring of Honor Wrestling. Um, you know, in the role that I provide there as a correspondent. I also do a lot of advertising as the show is beginning, and this is probably what 
I'll be doing in Baltimore as well. And one of the things that we always advertise at Ring of Honor shows are the signature ROH streamers. Uh, you know, you can and you can you can grab these streamers from uh, you know the Ring of Honor Pro Shop uh, for a very low price, uh, so that when you know Roderick Strong comes out and and Bobby Cruz does the announcement for Roderick Strong, that you can you know throw your signature Roddy colors right out right out there when the announcement happens. And you know, given you know whatever night that we are trying to you know push this merchandise and, and advertise all the all the deals. Uh, well, well, we have a hard time sometimes, you know, moving those. They sometimes don't move. Well, on this night, you know, Mandy and I were kind of put together, um, you know, in the kind of way that we we kind of appear on um, TV, you know, for the the final, I'm sorry, the, uh, the best in the world preview show or or what have you. We were kind of a tear um, on the night of the Summer Heat tour, and Mandy we got the idea that if maybe I could advertise that she would be the one that was selling the streamers, that it would give us a little bit more, you know, terrain to cover all throughout the Philadelphia, you know, the Pennsylvania National Guard Armory. And, you know, so we basically gave Mandy kind of like cigars, cigarettes, like all of these streamers. And I kid you not that it took less than, a half an hour for us to sell all of the streamers that we were advertising, and we had absolutely none left. Wow. So it was a uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me, but I should have known, you know, that we could have sent her out there with anything to sell, and she probably would have been able to sell it for the simple fact that, you know, people probably try to grab pictures and, like, you know... You know, whatever, like just trying right. to talk while they're buying whatever from her. So that's my favorite Mandy Leo uh, story is how quickly we sold out of the streamers the night that uh, at the National Guard Armory, Mandy was the one, you know, sort of, you know, taking the money and, and selling those in the crowd. Well, real quick, Larry, and I know we're on short time. First of all, we want to thank you much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on our show once again. Um, real quick, I know Ring of Honor is the Saturday. I know uh, Under the Match Radio will be there. I'll um, give you a chance real quick to plug um, the show this Saturday and anything else that you need. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, well, this Saturday it is the uh, the Road to Final Battle. We're on the Road to Final Battle, and the, the last stop is going to be right in Baltimore for uh, Tag Wars 2014, which uh, any longtime Ring of Honor fans will know is a tremendous event. And... Uh, Everybody knows Larry Legend likes to tag team extravaganza. Well, it's going to be nothing but that. So uh, we invite everyone to come on down to the William J. Myers Pavilion. It's near Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Maryland, around that Glen Burnie area. Real easy to find. And uh, there is a special Toys for Tots autograph opportunity uh, for this show where all you have to do is bring one unwrapped toy um, to, to uh, donate to Toys for Tots or make a cash donation, and you can actually uh, get a, a posed photograph with uh, the Ring of Honor world champion, Jay Briscoe, and his brother, Mark. And, uh, you know, that's going to be at 5 o'clock. Um, you know, the doors will open at, I think, the, I don't want to quote me on this, but doors will probably open a little bit before then. 5 o'clock is the huge Toys for Tots autograph session with the Briscoes, and then special 6 p.m. bell time. So that's going to be a, a grand event. I will be there with bells on, and um, 
yeah, there are still great tickets available. So go to www.rohwrestling.com to get them now. And then uh, Lumen Right on the Horizon, Final Battle, which is going to be live on pay-per-view. Um, so all cable providers, pay-per-view providers, and satellite providers will be uh, allowing you to purchase that. And um, that's going to be live December 7th, Sunday, in New York City. So that's what's coming up for me. And also, uh, I will I'll be... I'll be hosting another Muay Thai MMA show uh, oh, this, this Friday uh, at the theater in Madison Square Garden. The show is called Victory 7. Um, so you can, uh, all of my New York, you know, brethren and, uh, you know, all those people that know me from doing, you know, Muay Thai shows or kickboxing shows or wrestling shows in the New York, Jersey metro area, the theater at Madison Square Garden on Friday night is the place to be for, the first time ever MMA at the at the theater. I mean, you know, they're still trying to get, you know, the full MMA in there, but not yet. But what we have tonight is a kind of, it's like a, it's the, for, for the first time ever MMA and Muay Thai on the same platform uh, is what we really have as the tagline of this event. So you can go to victorycombatsports.com to learn more information about that show that I'm hosting on Friday night at the theater in Madison Square Garden. And then Saturday, Ring of Honor Tag Wars uh, 2014 at the William J. Myers Pavilion in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Maryland. I will be there, and you should be there, too. Yes. Well, Larry, with all that being said, we thank you much for coming on our show once again. We will definitely have you on uh, very soon, and we will see you on Saturday at uh, Tag Wars Ring of Honor. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Larry. Take care, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hey, but it was Larry, the legend trademark, Ring of Honor correspondent. Not so much in the business. Real quick, NFC Game Boy, your quick thoughts on the interview before we go over Survivor Series. Well, I just wanted to say uh, congratulating. I get a chance to congratulate him again on Saturday. Uh, uh, under the mat radio, we'll be at Ring of Honor uh, Tag Wars and everything. So, uh, great interview. Yes. Right now, we're going to bring in a. We have Shannon real quick. We're going to do a very, very quick review. This Sunday, live will be WWE Survivor Series. Uh, mm-hmm. It is free. It doesn't cost nine ninety nine unless you already are a subscriber to WWE Network, and they will take the nine ninety nine from you anyway. So, <laughs> WWE Survivor Series really? live this Sunday. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Shimbley, real quick. Give us a quick overhaul of the matches so we can give you your prediction. Uh, give you our predictions of Survivor Series. Okay. Well, actually, it's very quick. Uh, there haven't been many matches uh, been told as of yet. I will start off with the pre-show, and it will be Fandango versus To Be Announced. Oh, he's still on. He's for the pre-show. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty Fandango much. I mean, it's Vince McMahon. To Be Announced. To be announced. Uh, we'll, we'll announce it later. But he's been around, though. It's just Vince McMahon's tool, so I guess it's like he's gone on the wayside of Triple H's reign now. Um, there's well, a match quick, that hasn't been... Uh, well, real, real quick, Shane, before you do that, we, we got to give our predictions on that match. Um, I oh. think we both concur that <laughs> to be announced will win. Uh, no, we don't. No, no we don't. Against, we uh, hey, to, to, to be yeah, announced will win against Fondango. Yeah, we, we can go and move on. <laughs> Thank you, Game Boy. 
Um, the next match, well, the next match hasn't been announced, but I think it's going to be announced tonight on main event or SmackDown. Well, main event been announced. Alicia Fox. Excuse me. Not good. It's Alicia. It's Alicia Fox versus Paige, and they're going to have a Survivor Series Divas elimination match. Now, on Team Fox is Alicia Fox, obviously, Emma, Naomi, and Natalia versus Paige's team, which is Paige, Cameron, Layla, and Summer Rae. Mm. Bathroom break. Okay. Oh, we we not moving on to this one either. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, re- I really don't <laughs> even though it's Tylenol Tylenol PM. Um, yeah, Lisa Fox team right now. Tylenol PM. Okay, yeah. moving on to the matches that matter. Yes, please. No, actually, to tell you the truth, this is Tylenol BM because this makes you go to the bathroom. But moving on. Um, the next match will be, which was announced on Raw, is a fatal four-way for the WWE Tag Team Championship, which is the the gold, the uh, Dust Brothers, Gold and Stardust, versus, ver, excuse me, versus the Usos versus Los Matadores versus the two Mizzes, the Miz and Damian Mizdow. And it's a game boy. Finally yeah, I think, I think Miz Dow and the uh I I think they're gonna win the titles. They they're getting the biggest push. The fans are really behind the whole uh stunt double character with uh Ms. Dow and them. So I'm really looking at they're probably gonna walk away with the titles. Okay. Can I can I ask this? Um sure. this Good. is a long this is a long uh storyline type question or whatever. You think if uh Damien Mizdow and the Miz wins it, you think that eventually along down the line it's gonna be a rift because Damien Mizdow is getting more popularity? And, uh, oh, that's, we, that's we, the we point. Did, yeah, we we would say I, um we actually was on um, last night, had a quick opportunity to be on a fellow show here for Wrestling Powerhouse um reaction and that's something that we did mention. I feel Damian Mizdow and the Miz should win because it's something different. It's the best thing they got going on. I mean, Lost Matadors just got thrown in because they have nothing else better to do. But the funny thing I would do is kind of like Scott Pilgrim with Chris Evans' character where he had all the stunt doubles. If they win the titles, if the Miz, Miz wins the title and Mizdow has a title, what happened to Mizdow get a stunt double himself with a fake title? Or if Miz wins the title, Hornswoggle? Yeah, not Hornswoggle. You can bring somebody from NXT. Or if Miz wins the titles, does he hold both titles and Miz Dow have a replica? Because, you know, stunt doubles don't have anything legit. They always have. That's actually actually pretty smart, but I don't think WWE will go that far. I don't think they're that smart. Yeah, this is WWE. Yeah, this is WWE. They want to simplify everything. Well, I tell you the truth, I give it the I give it the Golden Stardust just to shock people, just for the upset. Would it would it really be a shocker if they win? Well, they to me, no. Like but you know the way people, as far as pushes is like, no, it's been like two months. Well, the, the way the way sure, it's been like as far as pushes, yeah. One thing's for sure, Lost Matadors won't win. <laughs> That's one thing <laughs> we we definitely we definitely Olay. can be sure. 
All right, moving on. All right, moving on that point. Um, the next match is, well, uh, I don't know how you feel about this. This is the the Divas Championship, which is AJ Lee versus Nikki Bella. Now, I will say this before, give your uh, prediction. AJ Lee is rumored to leave after Survivor Series. This is just a rumor. Mm-hmm. She is. Yeah, I believe she's leaving. She's she's tired and she got other things she can do. Yeah, you know I'm saying she got other projects she can work on. She's done everything in the Divas division. You know, what I mean, her husband is clearly you know doing his thing. So yeah, it's best for her to go ahead and leave. Yeah. Okay. That more angry than now are, the main event. Gonna put it out on. And, and, and with that too, it's pretty it's pretty safe to say that um, Nikki is going to win, and of course they're going to continue this boring storyline with her uh, and her sister, which no one cares about. Yeah. Tell, tell yeah. Moving on to the it's, next. It's match. almost over. The, the month's almost over. Well, at, this is the match I want to see personally because the promos are so good, and it's uh, mm-hmm. Bray Wyatt, the Eater of Worlds. Versus Dean Ambrose, the Titty Master. This has been an oh, excellent yeah. promo. <laughs> Excuse me. No, mm-hmm. This is yeah. this has been an excellent promo from the start. You know, from the backwards language at Hell in a Cell and the attack, and the Bray Wyatt disappearing and appearing on uh, Dean Ambrose's back, yelling "boo" and everything. This is going to be an excellent, excellent match. I think internally. Creative has to wake up on this one if they want to stretch it out at least two months. Yeah, and it's a game boy. Your you. your thoughts? Who's who's going over real quick? Uh, real quick, I, I I see Bray Wyatt taking out Dean. Um, I think Dean going to think he has the uh, the upper hand, and and Bray's going to pull it out to stretch it out. It's no point in letting uh, Bray lose. You know, the villain needs to, to stay strong. I'm going with Bray. Real, real quick, Shin, uh, who's going over Dean or Bray? Um, I have to say Bray, too, because Dean Ambrose, it, it, if if Bray Wyatt loses, he has to lose strong. Like, he has to barely lose. If not, then there was no point in having Bray Wyatt go after Dean Ambrose. And plus, there's more depth to the storyline to go to in the next month. Talking about his father? Well, well, real quick, I, I I agree with everybody. I mentioned this before. Bray needs to win. Uh, they just reintroduced his character, him being a monster heel. Dean Ambrose said we necessarily won't hurt him to lose because, of course, like Shannon uh, mentioned in Game Boy, of course, they're going to have to have a match, something to do for TLC and even a Rumble. So, Bray, we all agree, concur that Bray Wyatt will win, and they'll do the rematch at TLC. Or they'll do the rematch for free at Raw the next night like they always do. Uh, All right. Um, next, next up is Team Cena, and there's been some changes. John Cena, Dolph Ziggler, Big Show, uh, Ryback, and a very surprise Eric Rowan, which is shocking mm-hmm. to me, versus Team Authority, which is Seth Rollins, uh, Mark Henry, Rusev, Luke Harper, and maybe Kane, but I'm thinking Cesaro is going to take somebody's place. And still add Kane and add Ballhead, Joey Mercury, and add Triple H, and add Stephanie McMahon, and add Jamie Noble. Okay, with those at ringside. Stephanie's rumored to be pregnant, so, yes, the the authorities want to lose. And, uh, yeah. Hey, we all know Captain Four Kids. Captain Four Kids will be the last man standing before I back. Uh Uh-huh. 
Yeah. I will say this. So, I feel so a I feel a turn coming. I I feel a turn so coming. Turn on Stephanie. Somebody is gonna call. Somebody's gonna call Cena. I think I'm going for the authority to, to win this. Now it may it may sound far fetched, but I feel a turn coming on Team Cena, like One minute. Dolph Ziggler for being beaten. Yeah. So that's well, just they, me. Well, you know, you know, Shane, you're not the only one that mentioned that. Um, speaking of fans throughout the week, a lot of people had mentioned that he feel Dolph may turn. Also, the wild card is this: Who's to say Randy Orton may not show up and get involved somehow? And cost authority the title, cost authority the match. Because we all know one thing for sure: Captain Full K Cena is going to prevail. Seth Rollins is going to be the last one to get eliminated since they're pushing him. Mm-hmm. So, or maybe I think outside sure. interference is going to cost Cena. Yeah. All right, well that's everything. It's just a short card. But, Hopefully, they're going to stretch out the matches. It's going to be some fun. It is true, but. With that being said, that's a Survivor Series prediction. Uh, the only matches that matter, Bray Wyatt will win over Dean Ambrose, Captain Full Cage, John Cena's team will win, Ryback and Cena will uh, be the ones to prevail, and Seth Rollins will be the one that will be the last one to get eliminated by the authority. Thank you very much, fans. We love you. Uh, uh, we will be you at... You See you this Saturday at the yeah. William G. Murphy event. We will be there at Ring of Honor Tag Wars under the Mass Radio and it's the Game Boy. And don't forget, folks, to check out our uh, uh, Facebook page from this past Saturday at Rage in Pittsburgh under Matt was in the house. Uh, check out all the photos and videos of everything that was going on. And shout out to Big Red for trying to put on a last-minute show, which turned out to be excellent. And um, we can't wait for the next show to come out. Yes, and then probably we'll give you more updates on that. Thank you, Sensational One Shimblade. Thank Boss Ritten. Thank Larry the Legend Trademark, Ring of Honor, and everywhere else. We will talk to you all next week. Please check our Facebook page with the great guests that we have next Tuesday. Live, live, live. 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Till then. <laughs> and Amen, boy. Signing off. Yeah, I amen. Amen. <laughs> Announcement next week. Shin hands. Shy hands.